This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. church you guys doing well blessed how amazing is our weather right now oh thank you lord it's good good before it's 156 and a half if you need a bible raise your hand we want you to be able to follow along with us we're in first peter this morning continuing our through the, Bi- through the book of Peter, Glorious Expectations is what the title of our Through the through First Peter. Ronnie is rubbing off on me, I guess, huh? The, 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 the. We come off very professional as a church. We like to, you know, present ourselves well, so. First Peter, we're studying Glorious Expectations in, in Peter's writing to a people who are going through it. They're going through it. Life is tough. How many of you can testify life is difficult? Oh man, life is, life is something else. And we just finished our three-part series to start Glorious Expectation. It was our hope series. And now we're going to do a little two-part series on life expectations. What you can, kind of expectations you can have through life. If you haven't noticed, the emphasis is on hope. The emphasis is not just on hope that it may or may not happen, but hope as in an expectation that it's going to happen. God wants you to have not just great expectations, but glorious expectations. That's what he has for you. And that's what we're seeing in Peter to a people who are struggling and going through it. And what I'm going to look at is six areas of life over the next two weeks and learn how to have the right or correct expectations. I'm going to give you the six points up front for the sake of engagement because I want you guys to be following along with me. We're going to do the first three points this week and then we're going to do the next three points next week. The first three points for this week are uh, life expectations in this world. You're in the world, right? Do not be part of the world, but you're, you're here and you can have life expectations by being in this world. Number two, worldly authorities. You can have an expectation of of what authority looks like, worldly authorities that are over you. The the third is uh, life expectations in the workplace. Most of us work. I don't care what that looks like, but even if if, uh, you don't have a job and get a paycheck, we're all doing things and we're engaging with people on a daily basis. And then the next three, which we're going to look at next week, life expectations, wives, husbands, and relationships. So he really paints the whole picture of how you can have hope in this life for today, but really an expectation in, a glorious expectation of what God has for you as well. Peter lays out very clearly here, Uh, how we should live in order to have glorious expectations. Do you want to have good expectations, great, glorious? Well, he lays these in these next six points out. He he lays out how you can have those glorious expectations. And I really want to approach this in the way that 
um, we should take it seriously. We, we always should take the Bible seriously, but, but if we want to have hope, if we want to have expectations in God, then we need to take these things seriously. Have you ever told somebody to do or to not do something before? You say, hey, don't do that. That's bad. And they do it anyway. And it's like, I told you not to do that. Or, or do this, and it'll be good for you. And they don't do it. And you're like, I told you to do that. It's going to be good for you. This is what Peter's doing. He's, he's, he's laying out some guidelines for us, some things to do that are going to be good for us. And if we do them, if we submit ourselves to God's word, we will have and need to have glorious expectation in him because it's the opposite of what the world has right now. Can I get a witness? The, the world is struggling right now. It is dark I just talked to a brother last service. I, I shared this statistic with you a few, a few weeks ago. The number one uh, cause or, or the number one reason for death in the United States right now is suicide. I was talking to a brother this morning who his brother just committed suicide. And his people are so hopeless. But it's in the most hopeless places that we find ourselves that, that God wants to meet us. What was the most... It, more than any other book per capita in the Old Testament, what book was, was hope taught and discussed the most about in the Old Testament? You all know? Job. Job! He, he had to be reminded. He had to have that hope and expectation in God. And that's what ultimately got him through. He had an expectation in God. We need to have an expectation in God. In chapter 2, starting in verse 11, is where we're going to begin. But before we do, let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you that we can have a sure hope in you, a definite expectation in who you are and what you've spoken and that your word is true. And that of everything in this world that is going to pass away, your word is going to endure forever. Your word does not return void. Your word changes and transforms our lives. And we submit ourselves to you, to your word this morning. And we're oh so grateful for your love and your compassion and your mercy and your long-suffering we could go on and on. Thank you for that time of worship that we can express and, and give you, offer to you the fruit of our lips. Thank you, God, for the studying of your word, that we would apply it and that it would be a spiritual act of worship. Thank you, God. We also pray over the tithes and offerings and pray that that too would be an expression of our worship to you. As Ronnie prayed, Lord, give us ears to hear what your word says and how we can glorify you in our time here in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Number one, in this world, you're in this world. And how should your perspective be? First of all, he says that you are beloved, beloved. And then secondly, he says, I beg you, I beg you. 
I plead with you. This is something that is going to benefit you spiritually. Please listen to what I'm saying. I beg you. Do you want to have glorious expectations? Do you want to have even just good expectations of, 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 you, of tomorrow, of what God has for you? Here's the first thing in this world that you should do. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Number one, you're pilgrim, you're sojourner. When we look at this life as something that is just a part of the process for eternity, it gives us a different perspective. If you look at this life as if this life is all that it it is, it it has to offer you, you're going to make decisions based on that opinion. Your life is going to look differently. But if your hope and expectation in God is for eternity, the decisions that you make today are going to be affected by that position, correct? I, I used to think that uh, it, uh, preaching the gospel was about preaching to people so that they didn't go to hell, right? And, and there was a convincing argument. You don't want to spell, spend hell in eternity, do you? Listen to what I have to say. Accept Jesus as your Savior so that you can live forever and not go to hell. That should not be the motivation of the gospel, it should not be our, our, our starting point or ending point. Our starting point should be, listen, God, the creator of heaven and earth, loves you so passionately that he sent his son to die for you so that he can have a relationship with you today. Right now. What Jesus says in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, that they would know you, the one true God. And he, said, he qualifies that before, this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God. In our expectation of what God has for us today, it is an engaging on his behalf with us, on ours to him today, to get to know him something that we, we, we're just scratching the surface of that we get to look forward to doing for the rest of eternity. Is, shouldn't that be motivation to share the gospel with people? Listen, I don't want you to go to hell. That's bad. But I, I want you to know who God is. I want you to experience, yeah, I said experience. I want you to experience who God is and all that he has for you today so that your expectation tomorrow can be as grand as he has it to be for you, because it's good. But when we get so settled down on this earth that we start to get comfortable on earth, right? And this is my home, and these are my toys, and these are my things, and this is my retirement, and this is what I have planned, we find out that there's little to no satisfaction in those things. But I love when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, I have living water to give you that you will never thirst again. And for those of us who have experienced God's goodness for the, through the saving blood of Jesus Christ, we have experienced true satisfaction to the degree that we shouldn't want to be settling down here on this earth. It's great. It's good earth, I guess. We're going to get to a point where it's, it's corrupt, but, but it's okay but oh, how God has so much more for us in the future. And if I'm expecting good things from God tomorrow, if I'm expecting good things from God today, but into the future, then it's going to change my perspective and my attitude about where I'm at today, right? So God says, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. Don't get settled down. Don't act like this is 
This is, this is it. You've, you've arrived. I've got better things in store for you. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I've said this before, and I can't say it enough without being too repetitious, but you know who your biggest enemy is? Your biggest enemy is yourself. We would like to blame the devil and say, it's the devil's fault, the devil made me do it, or we'd like to blame anything or anybody else, but the reality is that, that we, we wrestle against our flesh. And he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. It's incredible to me, we're going through the Old Testament right now on Wednesday evenings, and it's incredible, it's incredible to me how much I can identify with the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. Yeah, now it's different. I have the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, <laughs> that I have some assistance, and they did too, but they are just redonkulous. <laughs> They're like sniveling little brats, and, and we just started Joshua. We did Joshua chapter 5 and 6 on Wednesday, and God has brought them over the Jordan, and they're standing outside of Jericho, getting ready to take Jericho, and, and God says to, to Joshua, before you guys go in to, to take over Jericho, that, that I'm going to give you, I'm going to fight for you, I want you to circumcise all the men in Israel. Well, wait a minute. The covenant of circumcision was given when? To who? Abraham. Wait, this is Joshua now going into the promised land. That was quite a long time ago. And God goes on to say, and, and Joshua, you can see, that, that the people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. But then as they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, guess what happened? As they were having kids, there was, almost a, there was a total turnover from the old generation to the new generation. Guess what they didn't do to their kids while they were wandering around in the desert? They didn't circumcise them. Circumcision is a sign to say that there's a putting away of the flesh. It's, it's very symbolic, and, but it's very clear that, that, that there's an there's a element of the flesh that God wants us to cut off. In fact, Paul goes into detail in Galatians chapter 5 about the significance of uh, cutting the flesh off, and then he makes this comparison about walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. And then he lists those Deeds of the flesh, which are very clear. If you, if, if you ever wonder or you ask yourself, am I, am I in the flesh right now? Just go read Galatians chapter 5. Anger, wrath, fornication, uncleanness, sorcery, idolatry. Those are all products of the flesh, and they are all selfish. Because the flesh wants to feed itself. Then the fruits of the Spirit, you guys know those, right? What are those all? Those are all selfless. Those are you not doing what the flesh wants and serving and loving others. And he says, I, I beg you guys, I beg you, please, as pilgrims, as people who are not settling down, abstain from flesh, fleshly lusts which war against the spirit, war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. No matter how much somebody dislikes you, no matter how much they hate you, if you are doing what is good, if you are doing the right thing, it is going to be a testimony, it's going to testify against them to the point where 
the day of his visitation, the day that he comes. Now, let's take that literally, the second coming of Jesus Christ, but let's also take it in the sense that People see you on a day-to-day basis, right? And you respond to them. You have relationships with people. And you're going to go through things in life where, where it's going to be difficult, but God is going to meet you in those difficulties. Does that make sense? People are going to see, oh, they're struggling, they're going through it, but they're strong, they're continuing to go forward, and then God meets you. And it's a testimony to them that what you were doing was good and what you were doing was right, was correct, and even more so, that, that the living God has an exchange with you, wants to help you in life. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. I want you to notice something. It says good works, and we, we are going to focus on that a little bit because um, it's repetitious through the text that we're in this morning. But uh, we're not talking about uh, works-based salvation, which every other religion, religious institution on planet Earth focuses on works-based salvation. What comes from our lives as believers being submitted to God when we do the right things or when we walk in the Spirit, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, is that we have the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are what? They're fruits. When is the last time that you saw a tree working? You know, it's like making oranges. Ah, Pop! Orange pops out. Hey, I was just exercising strength right? It's working. No, no, no. A tree produces fruit. It's something that comes naturally. If a tree needs, if you want a tree to produce more fruit, whose responsibility is that? It's the the arborist or or the person tending the tree. They They prune it, right? They cut the suckers off, the things that suck the life out of the tree that, that, that prohibits it from making as much or good fruit. They can cultivate the soil. So who do you think does the work? The, the person that tends the tree or the tree itself? It's God's job to do a work in your life. But as he's pruning you and as he's tending to you, you will naturally produce fruits. So we're not talking about you have to work for your salvation. We're talking about you as a tree producing fruit by the Holy Spirit, by being submitted to God and denying the fleshly lusts that everybody else has given themselves over to. I like to use this idea, illustration, when I talk to Mormons. I ran into a Mormon guy in the parking lot at Costco, and we were sitting in the parking lot for two and a half hours talking. I said, you know the big difference? Let's cut to the quick. The big difference between you and me is that you believe that you can obtain salvation by works, and I believe it's solely by grace. He said, no, but the works that we do test I said, listen, if you didn't do those things, would you, would you be saved? Would, be, would you be okay? Well, no, I have to do something. No, no. The difference is that, that God calls you to be a tree and produce fruits. He doesn't call you to work for something that you can't obtain. They'll see your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I have this takeaway for you in point number one, being in the world and having 
good expectations in life, if your expectation is to find satisfaction in this world, that can only come from God with a further expectation of eternal glory. So the satisfaction, again, isn't just temporal, but as a pilgrim, it's for now, it's for today, it's for tomorrow, but it's for eternity. That should make us happy. Amen? It's an eternal expectation of glory. Number two, worldly authorities. Therefore, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may, not, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. These verses... They don't sit so well with us, do they? You know, submitting. We're Americans. We don't submit. We do what we want. You know, we, we, we have rights. This is, this is the way that it should be, right? But, but who's he talking to? He's talking to people who were beaten, killed, and driven out. When you start talking about, you know, rights and this is what we should, we deserve and we should get, and, and we compare where we're at today with who he's talking to, where they were at, it's pretty sobering. And he's telling them to submit to the governing authorities because it's something that God instituted and put in place. And, and maybe sometimes it's not going to be fun or it's not going to be easy. Obviously, we're not going to go against God in submitting to present-day authorities whatsoever, but there is going to be some degree, and being uncomfortable with it even, that, that we will need to submit to governing authorities, and it is an institution that God put in place. Even if it has to be, look at those three key words or four, four words, for the Lord's sake. Say, for the Lord's sake. I know, some people don't like it when I ask you to say things, but, but it, it, it plants a seed, Right? If it's for the Lord's sake, I can do it. If it's for my sake, I've got rights, right? If it's talking about something that, that I should do because Tim should be a good person, well, whatever. <laughs> Who cares really anyway? People are watching me, but I don't feel good right now, so I'm going to do what I want. But when it's for the Lord's sake, it changes my perspective. And, and look at it this way. You're not submitting to a, an authority when you're doing it for the Lord's sake. Who are you submitting to? The Lord. Because if you're doing it to the Lord, then you're not necessarily doing it for them. I've heard this said in a marriage kind of situation too. You know, a, a believing wife and a non-believing husband. Well, I can't submit to him. He's a non-believer and you should hear the things he says and the things he does. Well, do it. For the Lord's sake. And now you're no longer submitting to your husband who you disagree with, but you're submitting to the Lord, right? And then when we do that, when we submit to the Lord, oh, that's, I get peace because I know I'm doing the right thing. And we go back to this, what are you doing? Oh, God, I'm, 
I'm, I'm submitting to you. I don't agree with this. I'm not okay with this. But, but for your sake, for the sake of your witness, for the sake of my testimony, for the sake of your goodness, I'm going to do it for your sake. That's okay. That's good. In fact, he says, do it. For the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or the governor's, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Romans chapter 13, Paul also speaks about this, verses 2 through 5. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. There's two responses when you're driving down the road and the lights go on behind you to pull you over. There's two responses. First response is, man, the police always trying to get me, trying to catch me riding dirty, <laughs> ducking down, you know. Or... I wonder why he's pulling me over. I didn't do anything wrong. I got pulled over not too long ago, a few weeks, a month or two, or something like that. And my response is, I didn't, like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, there was no fear or expectation of justice happening because I didn't think I did anything wrong. He came to my window. He said, "Hey, how are you doing?" I said, "Hey, good. How are you?" Oh, I'm, I was doing fine. But how are you doing? What's going on? He said, "I don't know if you realize, but your uh, your tags are expired." And I said, you don't? I had no idea. Honestly, I know people lie to you all the time, but I did not know. Nicest guy. I told him, you know, that, that I made a mistake. I was sorry. I, I didn't know. He let me go, didn't give me a ticket, right? I had, no, I had no fear in this situation. But some people, you know, they're getting in the defensive mode to do something because they've done something, Right? They have, there's a reason that there's pushback. And that's what the authority is set there for. For the people who do good to good and praise, oh, hey, no, no, no worries, guy. Go get your truck registered. You're good. Don't forget next year. But if you're doing bad things, what do you expect to happen? You can expect bad things. So he says, do good. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Every time I see in the word where it says this is the will of God, I always take note of it. Circle, underline. Oh, I want to know what God's will is. You know, as a young believer, that was my biggest thing. I want to know what God's will is. I totally royally messed up my life and, and I don't want to make decisions anymore for myself, God. I want to do what your will is. So my heart was, God, what is your will? And every time I'd come across this, oh, this is what God's will is. This is what he wants me to do. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, it's God's will for you to do good. Isn't that? It's so simple. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so simple. God's will is for you to do good. You are his representation on the earth. And he says, I am good. 
Everything I created in the seven days of creation is good, 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 right? And then it's very good. He says, you are my children. I've sanctified you for a purpose. I want you to do good things, not bad things. So submit yourself to the authority. I've instituted authority. Now, we can make the argument about whether you know, who should be in the person in that authority, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the system. Oh, I said it, the system. You're telling me to submit myself to the system. Those things are not in the American vocabulary. We're supposed to go against the system. Push. Democracy. That's good. Whatever. The point is, Whatever kind of system has been put in place as far as governments go, God's word tells you that you should submit to it. I lived in a formerly, arguably, presently communist country for close to 10 years in two different countries. I didn't like the way that the bureaucracy played out for me in my visa process or the, the, getting my family being able to legally live there, but guess what? I didn't go into the police station screaming about communism and how they were corrupt or how the system was broken. I submitted myself to the system in hopes of having an audience with the people who needed to hear the gospel so that they could start to have a relationship with the God that paid for them by the blood of his son right? So if it's, if it's no different over there, and it's easier to put that into context for us, if it's no different over there, then it's definitely not different here. We recognize, okay, this is where God has me. His will for me is to do good things. And, and by doing those good things, it says that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, I think we think ignorance in the English language means stupid, my mom used to call me an ignoramus, and I thought that she was just saying I was stupid. But it doesn't technically mean stupid. It means uh, uninformed or not receiving the truth. It means you, you didn't know. You were ignorant of the fact. Which these people, you know, people that are around us, people that may mistreat us, maybe even the authorities that are over us. By doing good things and following God's word, it says that we will put them to silence. Maybe they are foolish. Maybe they are ignorant. But doing our part, they'll eventually see that we do believe the truth. And as much as it's changed our life, it can change theirs also. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. It's something, you know, that word bondservant is, 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 is a servant that has submitted to a master voluntarily. It's when the slave was to be released, but the slave said, I'm not leaving this house. I want to serve here. And they would, they would nail the, their, their ear to the doorpost, and they would become a bondservant of the master. It's by choice that we serve the living God. Even in liberty as bondservants, to testify of him. Because if we believe that he has good things for us, if we can have good expectations, isn't that what we have to offer the rest of the world too? We, we offer them hope. We tell them we expect good things from God, and then they see us get it, therefore silencing ignorant and foolish men. Then he ends with this, honor all people. This is good. Honor all people, 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Your takeaway for the second point, worldly authorities, is this, if you'd like to jot it down. It's pretty simple. If your expectation is goodness in life, then do what is right. We're not talking about works-based gospel here. We're just talking about if your expectation in life is goodness, if you want to have a good life, then do what's right. It's as simple as that. Do what's right in submission to God, and you'll see that goodness manifest in your life. Number three, the workplace. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. I really wish he didn't put that last part in there. Be submissive to your boss, to your masters, especially the ones that are nice to you. Right? Yeah. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. No. He says to all of them, whoever's over you, whoever is a master, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Man, that there's that S-word again, submission. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, patiently, this is commendable before God. There's that word again, too. What does he say? When you do good. You get the emphasis yet? We're to be good doers. Based on our hope and expectation in God. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Oh, no. Strike it out. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Oh, great. Now we're comparing ourselves to Jesus. Yeah. Christian means Christ-like, which is how they got their name. When they were going through severe difficulties, they were following Jesus, they were submitting, people were recognizing it, and they were, it was first termed as a derogatory name. Christians, little Jesuses, little Christs, yeah. Jesus suffered For to this you were called. And we have him as an example. I, I have to say to you, I hope that I don't over-exaggerate this, but I have to say to you, I can't really wrap my mind around Jesus' suffering when he was here. I struggle with it. Because in concept, he was so submitted to the Father. He was willing to do anything. They were beating him. They were mocking him. They were, they were messing with him psychologically or trying to. And we just have this rock Jesus not doing anything. I don't know if you've ever said this before, but if I were God, <laughs> if I were God, this is the guy who's in the garden and they come out looking for him. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, here I am. And boom, they fall over. Could you imagine, I could call 10,000 of my father's angels down right now. Put your sword away. 
I, I have the authority over them, but Jesus was submitting himself under their authority, even though it was corrupt. Try to wrap your brain around that. Jesus, at any moment, with one whip or with one punch to the face or with the crown of thorns smashed on his head, with one flick, he could have just annihilated everybody. I'm done with you guys. I don't care what my father wants. You guys are toast. Nuclear bomb on Jerusalem, ba-boom. And he just walks away and laughs. Well, not only that, not only did he restrain himself in obedience to the father, and, and he didn't do anything to them, he also didn't say anything. Look at verse 23. He who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who are we committed to? I commit myself to God. Yes, I may be treated badly, poorly, wrongly, absolutely, but I trust in God's judgment. And I know that this thing is going to come full circle. And when I trust in God's judgment rather than the relationship with people that I have, I can have a good expectation in what's going to happen, right? Because he's just and he's good. But that, that's the thing that gets me, because I got a big mouth. Don't laugh. I'm glad nobody laughed. <laughs> Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Yeah, maybe Jesus didn't snap his fingers and blow everybody up or whatever. You know, maybe he didn't call 10,000 angels down or whatever, right? But he didn't say anything either. I would have been lighting these people up. I'd be like, I'm going to watch you burn in hell forever, sucker. Yeah, you hit me now, but I, just wait till I come back on my white horse. He didn't say a word. He didn't threaten them. He didn't say, I'm going to exercise my authority over you with a rod of iron. Anything of which he could have done, he resisted because he knew in his commitment in being committed to God, that God was going to be the one that judged righteously. Therefore, you don't have to stick up for yourself. You don't have to say, uh, this is who I am, and this is why I need to defend myself. You can say, I am submitted, I am committed to God, and he is a righteous judge. And when we do that, we can have great expectations of what's going to come. I was talking to um, a brother one time, and he was sharing with me some struggles that he had with a family member um, his whole life. He had struggles. It was his father and how he had difficulty forgiving his father for some things. And, and, and he didn't feel like his father was ever going to fully reap the consequences because we were talking about the consequences of sin. He, didn't, he wasn't really going to reap the consequences of his sin to the, to the degree that he deserved. And I said, oh, be careful. Be careful because I know as fact that we are all going to get to the degree that we deserve. But for the blood of Jesus Christ, I would feel the full brunt of my sins against God, my Father. God judges righteously. Maybe you don't see things happening the way that you think they should based on how somebody's treated you. 
but you commit to him, you submit to him, and he's going to take care of you in judging righteously. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh man, this, these verses really, they, they really bring it all together, right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. You can't even begin to compare the glory that God has in store for you to what you're struggling with or going through today. It has no brain space for you. And look at what's highlighted, God's glory. God's glory is going to be revealed in you. We have something to complain about in today. Wait a minute. Isn't that what we're talking about? Glorious expectations in God, which is not to be compared with what we go through today. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So not only does God instruct you to have an expectation, but creation has an expectation for the revealing of you as sons and daughters of God. Now, now if you don't have an expectation, but creation does, shame on you. For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Hope. We see hope. Hope is also that expectation in the glory of God. And you say, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't care. I say that with all the love in my heart. You know why? Because I go through junk too. I go through heart issues and sickness and failure and I have to say, I have to say for today, my hope is in God, for I shall yet praise him. I would have lost hope unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost hope, but I didn't. I have hope because I have an expectation in God in all areas of life, whether it's connected to this world, whether it's the governing authorities, whether it's at my job place or the people that I have interpersonal relationships with, my expectation is in God. And if creation's waiting in, in eager anticipation, so should we. Don't compare what you're going through now. Don't even try. Don't compare it. Was it worth it? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? Oh, it's not even comparable. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus bore our sins on his, it says, own body on the tree so that you might not have to on your own body. Having died to sins might live for righteousness. There's that choosing of doing good again, not because you have to, but because he paid the price for you. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now Return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I don't know about you, but I am loving this study 
And it really has uh, given me the, the, the focus on hope and expectation in God, which is, I've shared with you before, where I've had to be for a long time. Don't hope in people, don't hope in position, don't hope in authority. Hope in God when your expectation is in Him and you're walking through those good things that He's preordained, predestined for you to do since the the foundations of the earth were laid. You'll be blessed and satisfied and you'll be able to give that to other people. Three things in closing. How do you live in glorious expectation? From our three points today, number one, have a sojourner mentality. Have a sojourner. Don't take ownership of something that's not yours. Even emotionally, you're passing through. God is good. He's going to take care of you, and he loves you. Number two, be humble and submit to authorities. We don't like the, the word authority. We don't like the word submit. But do you know what the Bible says about people who are proud? Those who are proud will be brought down. They'll be humble. Pride cometh before destruction is the original translation of that verse. Pride cometh before destruction. What does the Bible say about people who are humble? It says if you're humble, you'll be exalted. You'll be brought up. In relationship to authority, be humble and submit, even if it has to be for the Lord's sake. Can we say that together? For the Lord's sake. Number three, be an example at work. You are, whether you know it or not. Whatever you do, whoever you have exchanges with on a daily basis, you are an example, period. Be a good example, not a bad example. Because you should have a hope in God that changes your attitude even so much that it affects the people around you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and we thank you, God, that that you are faithful to instruct us as your children. You're faithful, we as your sheep, for you to feed us. You are good, God and that you want to engage with us. Our hope is not in eternity. Our hope is in you today, that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, that you would so move in our lives and influence us and change us, that we would affect those that are around us. We'd we'd affect our own families, our own husbands, our own wives. We would affect our own children by our attitude because of the glorious hope that we have inside of us. We would affect our boss, our coworkers. We would would affect those people that we meet through Craigslist or OfferUp or whatever we do. That we would be a, a bright lamp, a fire of burning expectation, good hope in you. Father, I pray that you would empower your church by, the, by your Holy Spirit and that we would go in your name and be your witnesses in Jesus' name. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning. We don't always do this, but, but if, if you've never 
professed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you're getting the fact that, that without him you have no hope, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. So if that's you and you want to confess, repent of your sins and acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, I want you to raise your hand really high for me so that I can pray with you, for you, and talk to you after. Now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you another question, maybe a little bit more difficult, but I want you to be honest with yourself, with the Lord, and respond to the Holy Spirit as He prompts. If anybody here has been struggling with hope, struggling with expecting good things from God, wanting to give up, throw in the towel, I want to pray for you this morning. So if that's you, the Lord wants you to know that you can trust Him and you can hope in Him and expect good things. Raise your hand high for me to see so that I can pray with you. Anybody else? Father God, I pray for these who need your hope. God, we learn as we walk with you that that you're faithful to take care of us, that you're faithful to meet us where we are. And God, I pray that you would continue to, even now, today, manifest yourself to them and give them that hope. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for we shall yet praise him. We praise you now with that expectation of meeting us, God. And we praise you for that expectation in Jesus' name.